The longer cannabis sits around, the more it fades. The timeless noir takes the plant from harvest to steam extraction in less than an hour. That way, they preserve all its live resin terpenes. What does that mean? Full flower taste, aroma, and effects meet the convenience of a vape. The experience of vaping noir actually tastes like the plant. Timeless Noir is made in small batches to complement the core line of timeless premium distillates and terpenes. Choose your mood with three timeless cartridges, energy for an uplifting experience, chill for balanced relaxation, and rest for a calm night. Then personalize your kit with a flip case from the Timeless Artists Legacy Program. Timeless features limited edition designs from artists that inspire them, like Busy Birdie's Vibrant Flowers and Yai Vila's Whimsical Cartoons. To see the psychedelic nightmare work of their fall collaborator, Skinner, visit TimelessVapes.com. Hello, this is Lauren Yoshiko. And this is Menle Golakai Agri, and you're listening to Broccoli Talk, a podcast for cannabis lovers. Hello, here we are in November. Hey. It's curry season in my apartment. I've been making, I use that like golden curry box. Like I'm no, I don't know how to make it from scratch yet, but. mm, That sounds delicious. So good. So good. It went from like summer to winter here. Our fall just like smooshed and Mojo and I are just ready to get cozy as hell. How's your life, my friend? Life is good. Don't have much to say, not much to complain about. I'm just looking forward to having my kitchen dialed in so I can really start cooking. Um, I think I might try to do another Seder with um, my ex-husband, ex-Mr. Agri. We're still like hella tight and oh, good. his family is going to be coming for the holiday and so is mine. So it's going to be a cooking family. That's sweet. Smoking weed moment. I'm looking forward to it. I like that. And that's fun. You get to have fam bam down there. Yes, I'm like scrambling to make my apartment more comfortable for them, but I am, I'm looking forward to it. It's a, you're getting ready to host. Yeah, I'm getting ready to host. We're a family of cannabis consumers, which is wild to think all these years later. So that'll be fun too. I'm sure I'll have some stories to tell (laughs) y'all. Good. I'm looking forward. Do we have anything in the broccoli universe to catch up on? Yes, there is still an abundance in the broccoli world. Um, As you all remember, we have a few new treasures added to the universe. We've got Mushroom Oracle, which is a 44-card deck and guidebook designed to help you interpret your world through mycelial thinking. And we've also got Once Upon a High Time, which is a book and a magical collection of fairy tales with a special cannabis twist. And others are completely original works of fiction from the minds of our baddie contributors. And you can find them all on the shop's growing line of playful merchandise, all available at broccolimag.com. Uh, including mushroom and broccoli blankets that are very cozy that my cat and my boyfriend's dog and I have all thoroughly vetted and approved of (laughs) and fight over. I love your family. We do have one other announcement that we wanted to share with y'all. At the end of this year, Broccoli Talk is going to hit the pause button for some reflection and reassessment time. Um, This is not a sad thing. You can keep following us to stay up to date with any changes. We're going to be going with the flow and 
We are not going anywhere. You guys are not going anywhere. The Broccoli Talk community is its own thing, and there will be other projects most likely popping up. And then 2023 as a whole is going to bring a fresh round of broccoli events and activations, some of which are likely to include Broccoli Talk reunions IRL. All good things must come to an end. And if there's anything that baby Menle Yoda knows is that nothing is permanent. And oftentimes I think there's so much curiosity and joy in that. Um, And besides, it's not goodbye forever. It's just goodbye for now. And no olvides, don't forget that we have over 55 episodes in the Broccoli Talk archive so anytime you want to press play and have a sesh with us we're here for you yes keep sharing with new friends and colleagues in the weed world those episodes will just be there and thank you so much for traveling this road with us it's been a true pleasure it's been really lovely to connect with so many of you offline online and we're just looking forward to seeing how the relationship continues to grow I am so grateful that you have found us, however you did, and I'm extra grateful that we were able to provide some comfort and inspiration and friendship because that's what you've given us. Because of you, we got to keep doing this thing, and we still have two more episodes this year, including this one. Who did you talk with for this one, Menle? I spoke with Devon Francis, who is iconic. Um, a chef, an activist, an artist who founded the creative studio Yardi in 2017. Yardi World is, I think, best described from them as an island for food and beverage born from queer Black Caribbean dreams. And he's a video host and contributor chef for Bon Appetit and was on this like what I would say an instant cult classic episode of HBO's Selena and Chef. Oh, love it. And for this episode of Broccoli Talk, we had an intellectual kiki on food ways, culinary anthropology, and I think the many ways that both cannabis and cuisine have really influenced um, this living archive of Devon's legacy. Well, that sounds amazing. I'm excited to head into the kitchen with both of y'all. Let's get it. Let's get it. We like to just start by asking our guests to describe yourself um, just for our audience. Yes, my name is Devon Francis. I am the chef and founding director of Yardy World, which is a um, company that I started in 2017 um, and sort of surrounding the idea of reimagining Caribbean food, sort of taking the ideas of the history and the legacy that we're trying to build from that history and bring it into the world um, in a way that you know helps us to really explore identity, but also just entertain people um, and gives people something valuable and meaningful. Mm-hmm. I love that mix of entertaining, but also giving value and like extending this legacy. Ah, ah. So Yardy World, what is referred to right as this island for food and beverage born from queer Black Caribbean dreams. This is your brainchild, but talk to us a little bit more about the concept and and sort of how each of those aspects and elements um, encompass the many roles of who you are, right, as an artist, an activist, and a chef. Yeah, so one of the biggest moments of my 
life, I would probably say. Um, my, my family was in transition from one house to another house. We were moving out of my the house that I grew up in, and they had put basically all of the family heirlooms in storage. And then years later, when we were cleaning out the storage, I happened upon a collection of photographs of my parents and my family in the 60s and 70s oh, wow. growing up in New York. And so for context, my father and my mother, you know, they uh, immigrated to the U.S., to New York specifically in the 60s. Okay. And one of my favorite things about just seeing these images is I feel like I was really kind of witnessing this evolution and this um not just like the adapting to culture, but also the subversion of culture okay. um, and the experience of seeing how this family, this community of Caribbean people were basically changing the landscape of New York in so many ways. Right. And I hadn't really thought of it that way until later on when I, you know, like maybe even like two years into having Yardy World as a company, I didn't even really describe it that way. But Literally, you're seeing the ways in which people's movement into a new place transforms a landscape. Right. And that was all archived and documented through these photographs. And so one thing that I wanted to do and one thing I was thinking about because, you know, I, I moved to New York um, when I was just starting an art school. Mm-hmm. And visuals were everything for me. Like I came to New York thinking I was going to be like a painter or like a graphic designer or something. And then I was like, no, actually, my love is food. Like, I, I'm falling in love with food again. But how do I place this sort of, like, artistic tendency or disposition? Where do I place that in, in my life when I also, like, want to have this culinary practice? And can they exist together? And so finding those photographs kind of felt like a really important through line for me. Yes. Because essentially, it allowed for for me to realize that the building of a narrative is something that happens through culture. And culture is, is really about visualization, but also the creation of of culture which happens through food and happens through um, song and dance and happens through how how you ritualize celebration ritualize coming together and so yardy world as an events company which is what is at the time and still sort of functions as today seemed to be a really great place to carry all of those ideas in one place right. and really much so like inspired by those photos because those photos for me were sort of like a sign that it was actually possible to step into the world and be like i i can take up space in any way that i want to and here is the Mm. blueprint for that Mm. happening right seeing my parents do that in their own sort of like coming to their own self and watching them grow up through these photos in new york Oof, yes that archival aspect is a i think for a lot of people of various diasporas is hard to obtain right and so having that has such rich value but like you're saying it it's this blueprint and then also enfolded like into the artistic element of of Yardy World because it's this multi-dimensional thing that's not just food but also yeah this culinary anthropology like anthropological artistic expression ooh yeah exactly it's so good and i want to talk about how your family has shaped or held space or even how they've reacted to or responded to this creation, to this this world, essentially. One of the most important things that I also witnessed growing up is just how fervently my family entertained kind of any point throughout the year. So 
christenings, baptisms, block parties, weddings, birthdays, you name it, there was always a reason to have people come together and Mm -hmm. always food as a sort of way to sort of ground everyone's experience and to get people excited about contributing or also receiving that gift of food by coming to the events that they were kind of throwing, these kind of family gatherings. Mm -hmm. And so from the onset, even before I was thinking about being a chef, I was always sort of close to this experience of watching people feed each other and be generous in their own offerings and giving when it came to just eating or sitting around the table. Or, you know, my my grandmother also, as a part of her like church service, community service, she also would kind of, you know, run service at the soup kitchen and giving food to the community in Flatbush as well. So mm. food has always been a way to sort of connect with people. Right. And I think that was a really great sort of like spark that allowed me to realize that it could do that for so many more people. And, you know, New York has such a robust food culture um, and such a diverse food culture. It felt really interesting to me to to really see, um, to feel so galvanized in my experience as a, a Caribbean American and seeing, you know, how Flatbush and Crown Heights was transformed by Caribbean cuisine, but then also wondering how come there wasn't maybe like a bigger global sort of framework for understanding where Caribbean food could be and exist. Mm-hmm. I think that the, the best thing about New York is definitely going into a neighborhood and kind of finding like those spots, right? Like you're like, oh, like I know the best spot for this. But for me, there was something that wasn't that I wasn't satisfied with that. Like I, I wanted it to grow a little bit bigger. I felt that. It was cool because I think my family also, you know, they, they're some of the most ambitious. Maybe it's because they're Jamaican. I don't know. <laughs> you know, there's so much like fervor for life and ambition and wanting to share in the storytelling that happens in Caribbean traditions. I think that just like inherently I, I had the spirit that I inherited from them that was very much so like, you can make space anywhere for the thing that you want to see, you know, like this isn't just a Caribbean thing. This yes. is actually something that the, that the world should experience, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, one thing that I've always wanted, I mean, thinking about just how New York or even the West coast with, with Mexican cuisine, you know, like the, the influence of how people traveling and being in different places and, and how migration and labor really transforms a space I want Caribbean food to do that for the world, too, in so many ways, you know? Yes. The things that we eat are such a through line of culture, right? Yes. Part of the work that I was doing when I moved to New York was taking anthropology classes, which is like one of the best things that maybe had ever happened to me because I didn't realize that there was sort of like this kind of branch of scientific study that was all about sort of observing of culture and people and this sort of like dialectic that happens between you know this person over there and this person over here and and how that influence kind of like shapes and manifests and changes throughout history or in a a place regionally or geographically Hmm. and so i was reading all these incredible texts by and albeit sometimes problematic texts by Uh anthropologists (laughs) and being like yeah exactly you know what i mean and being kind of like oh right like i'm a chef but i also like this is an excuse for me to study yep. people and study behavior, um, study culture, and really kind of name and claim it for myself and also expand upon it. One thing that I found that was like really interesting to me is obviously we can kind of trace the African influence 
um, in the Caribbean through the transatlantic slave trade, this idea of like jerk chicken and the utility of jerk chicken. And, and, and also to like, before jerk chicken was a thing, it was jerk pork. And the idea was the smoking of that using that, you know, the pimento, which is like such a base important spice into a jerk rub. The technique of that comes from this idea of utility of, you know, the enslaved people basically rebelling against the plantation structure going into the foothills and the mountains and wanting to conceal their presence. And so by which they didn't want to have smoke kind of in the air, so they would bury the food underground and cook it that way. And that's how the sort of like rich depth of flavor comes from, you know, that process. But that process also comes from a very specific history. You know, I just think about like how the, the actions you take just really do cause these like ripples, kind of like a droplet of water, you know, kind of going through like a pond or something like it, it has, it has a core, it has a center. Um, the center being something that happened in history. And we are still today feeling the reverberations of that, that history of that action, that the choices that other people had made. Then that's like how I think about food too. It's like, not only did it happen, but it still happened. It's a, it's like, it's like a living history. Um, and that makes me excited about, um, just talking about food and just like sharing with other people, honestly, is, is being able to kind of talk, talk through those stories. 100%. I think oftentimes we forget that we are a living, live diaspora, right, of people, of things, of food. It's hot. And I love that you are one of those people that are really creating that pathway and sort of also archiving it. But this is a podcast about weed. And yes. we want to talk about cannabis. And I think... We, we both had this conversation before where obviously food and cannabis connect so well um, and they mirror each other in various different ways. But I first want to just talk about what your relationship to cannabis is both culturally and personally. I mean, I'd love to hear if there's a story that comes to mind that just makes you think about your experience with this potent herb. That's it. A- Great question. And I think Jamaica is a really interesting place to kind of situate that idea. A hundred percent. Mostly for me, like a personal place because cannabis culture um, in Jamaica is something that I think the world associates with Jamaica in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. But my experience of it wasn't like that at all. Like my parents, you know, they grew up I think first sort of like under the sort of Catholic church umbrella. And then when they, when we moved to the uh, American South, I grew up as like a Southern Baptist church goer, you know? And so anything around cannabis culture was, yeah, exactly. Me and my little, like, I also went to like a a private Baptist school, like had like the cute little uniform. So I had these like little shorts and these like high, high socks. Yes. (laughs) Which is also a Jamaican visual vibe when it comes to school 100%. students. hundred percent. Right? Yeah, exactly. Because it's, it's very much so like a private, like you have all girls schools, all boys schools, you know, because they're kind mm-hmm. of following that sort of like Anglican model of right. education. Weed was like this thing that was kind of demonized Yeah. for me for a lot of my life. And it, actually, I remember um, my older brother, I'm one of three. Uh, my older brother was very much so like, you know, had he would like smoke with his friends after school and things like that. And I would always mm. be like, oh, that's so 
bad. Like, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. <laughs> you would smell it and see them. <laughs> yeah, and the car would smell like weed and I'd be like, oh my God. And then my mom would be like, I told you to stop doing that stuff. Like, da 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 You know, just like there was, there was always like this kind of like fear around what it is and what it was and what it also did to you. You know, okay. like weed was in some ways like anti-intellectual. You know, it was mm-hmm. anti, like like yeah. smart, smart, successful people don't do that thing. Right. And so not until I actually came to New York and was in college did I really ever smoke smoke weed in the first place. And now I like swear by it because it helps me sleep and it, you know, there's like a vibration thing there that I, I'm definitely into when it comes to um, cannabis culture and my own usage. Mm-hmm. But it, but all that to say is like, it was, I, I'm like a late bloomer when it comes to um, cannabis culture. I think that's probably the best way to go about it, <laughs> to be honest. Now that there's just so many advancements in terms of their applications and whether or not you can take like a delicious rosin edible to go to bed or like you whip something up in the kitchen and, you know, create a tonic. I mean, there's it's so much fun. And I think there's never a rush. I mean, I could go on and on about how I think people should probably start smoking at the age of like 23 after our brains fully developed. But I think it's sacrilegious to this podcast and my brand. (laughs) And also, you know, eating, um, I don't know, lucky charms is probably just as damaging to like a developing brain. So there's, there's a lot of ways to see that. And I think that complexity and sometimes that contradiction is something a lot of people who are, quote unquote, in cannabis culture have experienced, you know, especially as a child of West African immigrants. It's like that shit was not cool, not even my career for full, mm-hmm. a full decade. But mm-hmm. there is such a beautiful historical connection as well. And as you say, vibrational connection, like I think that's a beautiful way of describing it, you know both food and cannabis culture are so deeply rooted in ritual. And, you know, it's something that is shared. It's something that is coveted. It's nourishing. um, Also really fun, right? Just like food. But I wonder if that tracks for you and what has been your experience with the intersection of cuisine and cannabis? It hasn't been very deep. I would say that's something that I'm currently exploring. I have, I would say like a few relatives who have been fined or incarcerated because of possession. Mm. Um, As a cisgendered Black man, I often think about this idea of criminalization and then this idea now, which is not necessarily recent, but also like Pretty, pretty recent, like within within my lifetime, seeing this sort of like political and also financial shift of, of attention and the and this value shift of how we think about cannabis culture mm-hmm. and the, the types of bodies and types of identities and people who have been disenfranchised by that system, the labor that is invisibilized around that system, and how that now kind of folds into this idea of in some ways parallels a lot of what we see in this sort of like idea of wellness culture in general. Oh yeah. Where it's kind of like, okay, there's a very specific type of person and body who gets to benefit from talking about these ideas and can strip away the complexities of what it has to offer and what it means to cultures outside of their own and profit off of it. Mm-hmm. How do we get to that place? Why, why does it recreate so many systems that we've seen in the past 
and how do we then reclaim ownership of those spaces so that we can have we can actually build the legacy that i'm talking about you know what i mean like yeah there's so much to be said about the justice around that and the the equity around that that Mm -hmm. i'm i'm impassioned by especially as someone who has seen friends and family members um, go through so many different fraught moments around what that means for their own identity and their own their own ability to to compete in the world and to to live in the world and also to hold jobs and to be considered for jobs. Yep, to have your kids exactly. There's oh, hundred percent. So I mean, there's so much that we can talk about in terms of of how that system is inequitable. Um, but what I am excited to see is how legalization turns out and can maybe turn these things that were maybe like very fraught and very um like dead end conversations to something that is actually open avenues to exploring prosperity for 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 generations beyond my own you know and that's yes. and that's also like what yardy world means to me is like how do we take these ideas that for a long time were socialized as improper or invaluable behavior or invaluable um, resources or ideas and use them to actually like make a profit off of it because they belong to us, you know, mm-hmm. and that's something that I think about a lot. Hell yes. I mean, Herb was the prime target, right, of the war on drugs and now is the darling of VC Capital. It's shocking to see. It's interesting to see. It's triggering. And when I think about labor and we've talked about this also before, like some gossip, there is this like labor of love when it comes to food And oftentimes I think there is this misconception where someone who's a chef just like always wants to be cooking for you every time you like walk through their door or like you go into their home and they're just kind of like there to provide this like labor of love every time. And, you know, it's like oftentimes, no, I want to be in the house with my feet up, smoking weed, like relaxing, you know, these swollen legs. And I am curious for you does cannabis sort of become a way that you can relax after a long day of cooking? Like, how do you sort of create that balance? And and also, what's your style? Like, what's your labor of love style when it comes to nourishing and cooking for people? That, that's a great question. I mean, one is the social aspect. You know, I think that it's really nice to be folded into um, a language of sharing that is related to food, but outside of food sometimes where it's just like, yeah, we can share in the experience of smoking or enjoying this thing that actually just like allows you to be with someone in a moment and to be on similar wavelengths or just to share in, in a moment, just like food would. The other part is being alone and being able to kind of like enjoy yourself alone and i think that keeping those things in balance in general in my life is really important you know i try to keep this idea of the social and the individual in balance with all aspects of my life and cannabis use is no exception to that rule so Mm. you know when i'm with friends like it feels like something that we're partaking in together that feels really joyous and connected and it allows me to feel in so many ways disarmed. Yeah. And like I can kind of actually in a lot of in a lot of ways focus. Shockingly, right? Well, there's like a lot of like bodily listening that mm-hmm. happens, right? Like I think that some of it is actually not verbal communication. It's it's really about being in sync with your own body. Mm-hmm. I feel like I can feel every single cell that I need to feel in this moment. Ooh. And it's low and it's intentional and it feels like every single 
fiber can be held with attention and intention mm-hmm. and care. And then the same thing happens, but also on an individual basis. So my cannabis use on my own more so looks like wanting to kind of come down from maybe a long stressful day at work. It's about being able to slow everything down in order for to get into a good frame of mind for sleeping to build back and have energy again for the next day. So I kind of think about it as, as, as you might morning tea mm-hmm. in some ways. Like I, I love that. grew up having to have like a warm cup of something like before you start your day and like to end my night, you know, having something that kind of like brings you back down to earth um, and allows you to kind of like just get a good rest if I'm being honest. Um, and that's, that's sort of what my usage, my usage looks like right now. I love that aspect in the way you describe kind of feeling every cell for me I think often too I can feel like all of my bones and whether or not they've been misaligned or like if I should be sitting up more straight or like dude do I need to stretch like there's so much that kind of comes to mind when you when you are tapped into that realm um what's your favorite method of consumption because when you mention tea I'm like do you steep sort of the leaves to make tea um do you prefer edibles? Do you like to smoke flour? What's your go-to? I would say that it would be smoking flour and then edibles. I feel like I have had an edible that I use to sleep that is really incredible. It's like an elderberry THC indica moment. And then I would say like for recreational, sort of like social, it's it's more of, I'm like a... Uh, smoking flour. Um, I prefer a hybrid versus just doing like a sativa or something like that. I also think it's nice to like share something that's like smokable too. So, but edibles, I feel like I keep like in my like nightstand next to me, and that's like my own personal like treat for getting through the day. You know. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. Um, we could talk more about that, but I'm wanting to shift gears and and think a little bit more of this through line of culinary and cultural anthropology. And I think what both, again, cuisine and cannabis have so much in common is the fact that in their conception, like it's a seed, right? It's a plant. It's something that has traveled. It's something that has a very like powerful um, symbol in certain places, right? Depending on the food, depending on the weed. And I'm curious kind of with this rise of back to land culture that's really swelled up again in in the U.S. and globally, how do you connect to like agricultural practices through the way that you present food as an art form when you cook it? Like what does that look like in your food practices? First and foremost, let me just say if we're going to talk about land, one is like my my dream is to be able to have my own land both in the u.s and and in uh jamaica yeah speak it (laughs) yeah no honestly i think it's really important because for me i'm just like i want to have space that i get to take up or we get to take up as a community and family that really reflects all the things that we're talking about from a lifestyle not just like you clock in you clock out and it's the yardy world but yardy world for me i want it to feel like a place that you can go mm. to experience all the things from start to end mm. um, a place that is like nourishing, not only just from like a food standpoint, but also from like a building foundation and shelter standpoint. Yeah. I am super inspired by New York is a really incredible place because the way that people take up space with 
urban growing and these right. agricultural projects that you just kind of would maybe miss if you didn't know where to look. Um, but thinking about places in Brownsville and East New York and Queens and, you know, all these different farming movements that are largely stewarded by, by in Bed-Stuy too, like, you know, stewarded by Black people yep. that are growing things that really reflect and mirror the Native or Indigenous ingredients that pull them closer into a conversation with ancestry and pull them into a closer conversation with home mm. is really important to see and witness. You know, there's so many farms that we've worked with in the um, past five to six years of being in business. I'm thinking about Project Eats. I'm thinking about Oko Farms. I'm thinking about East New York Farms. Mm-hmm. All the amazing sort of like hydroponic, aquaponic, and, and urban farms that happen up in Harlem. Right. Again, remember at the beginning, I was talking about this idea of how people come to a place and really transform the landscape, it transform the neighborhood. That's what agriculture does. You know, mm-hmm. agriculture makes you see and realize um, the value of like the the ground that you literally stand on. Um, at least it should. Literal. And so for me, I feel like it's really important to always sort of tie back in a conversation of where things come from and not from like a if I may say, like a very white elitist um, idea of... Yeah, you may say. <laughs> <laughs> of like localism, like, like sure. eat local. Yeah. Like I don't actually believe that that conversation is always very helpful because it's isolating and it's about access. Mm-hmm. But I do believe in this idea of creating a very specific way to talk about land and growing that is conducive to the demographics that that share space in this, in a place. Yes. Right? So like... Local might look good for someone else, but it might not look good for somewhere else. Um, in my situation too, it's like, you know, I like, what does local mean when you are not from a place, but you have been forcibly migrated to a place? <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, right. Going, going back to this idea of like activism, there are a lot more people who are like way smarter than I am when it comes to talking about these things. However, I am blessed to be in conversation with a lot of these different groups and people who are thinking through these issues um, and allowing me to then use my business as a way to function as a conduit for people who are like, you know, it's like you're coming to be entertained, you're coming for good food, but what what you leave with is something very different. Mm -hmm, You know, mm -hmm. you leave with this idea to be like, oh, I didn't realize that this could taste like this or that this came from this place or that you could, you can use this technique and apply it in this way. Yeah. As much as it is about entertainment, it's also about using it as like an implicit covert educational tool as well (laughs) (laughs) has to be covert also you are extremely intelligent I love this conversation your brain is beautiful and I mean the way that you're able to really connect the dots with so much is crucial I I can see a yardy world in Jamaica on the mountains like you could see a river there's a beautiful garden it's not really a commune because it's not open to everybody but I hope I can get an invite (laughs) Oh, 100% you are invited. Like, <laughs> you're one of the main, you're like one of the deans of this of the Yardy World Institution. <laughs> I can be the seed keeper. I will grow some weed. Yes, 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 yes. All the elements I think that you sort of highlight and spark with Yardy World, with your practice, what would be your ideal dining experience? And I'm thinking in a very like surreal, magical sort of way, what are the dishes? Are there edibles? What are the outfits? What are the certified looks? Who is there? And kind of like, what is the room? What does the room look like? What's the architecture? 
I always imagine this idea of a, a house that has multiple levels. There's definitely a library. Ooh. There's definitely a kitchen. There's outdoor space. Um, any time of year that you go to this place is conducive to hosting. It's open when it needs to be, but it also has little pockets and corners that can also be intimate. I mean, the first thing that you notice when you walk in is the scent. Oh. You can tell that it's lived in because it's warm, it's inviting, but there's also a peculiarity to it too, right? There's There are smells that you can identify, but also there's smells that oh. are a little challenging that you're kind of like, I don't know what that is, but I want to know, uh-huh, you know, uh-huh. maybe that smell is the sweat of another person because in the <laughs> other room, there are people dancing, there are people just talking, the air is sort of like thick with like incredible energy and there are people speaking at like super loud decibels, but there's also like, you know, people kind of like having a more intimate moment in the corner. Yes. Everyone kind of comes dressed in the way that makes them feel best, but they understand at the same time that this experience is about living within your aspiration it's like get dressed up and be that person that you didn't think that you could be maybe this is your future self okay you know the party goes on from 6 p.m till whenever it needs to end talk to me about the food just one dish the way that i think about food is like i i grew up with my mom being like, use your hands, Mm. use your hands, get into it. Like I love something that you can like walk around with. Maybe it's because like right now I want, I'm like thinking about like this shrimp cocktail that I had the other day. And I just was like, you're hungry too. I bet. (laughs) And I'm also, and I'm also just like, I'm generally, I'm always hungry, which is something that I'm working through. Um, always, but, uh, no, I just like the idea of just like things that are touchable and warm and I love texture and I love the idea of like something as like familiar and like silly as like a beef patty Mm -hmm. to something as like beautiful and decadent and time-consuming as like a terrine or like a wellington and I love variety I love cacophony I love when things don't make sense together I'm thinking a lot about um, just like spices and citrus. Mm. I'm thinking about citrus in the winter. I'm thinking about something that makes you feel grounded, but at the same time, like really charged. Like I love the idea of like a, I mean, it's also interesting. I'm getting like a little off topic because I am hungry. But (laughs) this idea of like a big like thing of rice. Oh, say less. Is spiced and flavored with like, it's like curry and it's saffron and it's got, warm winter spices in it but it also like is maybe like a seafood paella so you have like the right amount of protein like lean protein best of best olive oil that you could find oh, it's got that beautiful i mean in in spain they say socorat in latin american countries they also say concon um in jamaica we call it bun bun yes. but the bottom of the pot and that like beautiful sort of like fond of sticky burnt rice at the bottom of it is just like Oof. in my family my great grandmother i believe would make like this pot of rice and people would fight over the burnt ends at the bottom of it <laughs> because it was so good i never experienced that but i strive to that you know what i'm saying like i strive to have people fight over the things that i make <laughs> You know, I think that people usually describe things as bountiful, and I don't actually think that's fair to the person hosting. <laughs> <laughs> that labor, it's a lot. <laughs> the labor is a lot. And so what I will say about it, however, is that there is enough and you feel provided for. <sighs> and you maybe didn't come with friends, but you definitely will leave with them. 
And it's something that you remember and tell your kids and friends and family about for years to come. Oh my gosh, I'm obsessed. I want to be there. I'm excited to be there. Let's make it happen soon. I think that was a beautiful way to wrap up this conversation because to me, you are like a definition of a star. You're a host, you're a chef for Bon Appetit, but what else is on the horizon for you? What can we keep a lookout for? How can listeners find you, follow you, fall in love? Yeah. One of my biggest goals is to really build a trusted source of recipes and techniques and, you know, things that I'm using in my own personal life and really share that with my QT BIPOC community because Mm -hmm. I feel like, you know, there's so many other platforms that just don't really tell the story that needs to be told in the way that it needs to be told. Yeah. And so for me, I would say the best way to find me, the best way to figure out what we're doing is to subscribe to our new website it's yardy, Y-A-R-D-Y dot world, W-O-R-L-D. With a membership to our website, you get access to exclusive content. You get all of our recipes. Yeah, You get to hang out with me and hear about what I'm eating, what I think about wellness. We also just launched an e-commerce shop too. So if you're looking for anything for the holiday season or even just like presents or whatever you, you want to do for that yourself or, or a boo or a family member or whatever, <laughs> shop with us. You can shop with us. Um, okay. Yeah, I'm excited to just like share more with the world and just like be a voice for the community that I love and that has also nurtured me. Oh, I'm so excited for everything you have in store. I am really, really grateful for you just being here and sharing with us. Thank you so much and have a beautiful winter. Thank you. You too. Take care. This episode was edited by Jay Nathan. Our music is by Giselle Garcia, and our logo design is by Jennifer Wright. Learn more about Broccoli and subscribe to the magazine at broccolimag.com. Thank you for listening.